Some people with serious illnesses have received permission to live in the United States and receive health care under a medical deferred action designation granted by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, but the future of medical deferred action has been in question for the past few months. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Lakshmi Ganapathy, an attending physician in the divisions of infectious diseases and nephrology at Boston Children's Hospital. Dr. Ganapathy has co-authored a perspective article about threats to medical deferred action. Dr. Ganapathy, could you start by explaining how medical deferred action works and what's the process involved in requesting it? So medical deferred action, as you point out quite rightly, Steve, is is a designation that's been given to immigrant children um, with uh, serious life-threatening illnesses. Now, many of these children have entered the United States with valid visas, as we mentioned in our article. Now, some children have been unfortunate enough to have incurred these serious illnesses while they were visiting relatives here in the United States. And unfortunately, many are unable to return to their countries of origin simply because the medical care that is needed for their condition is not available. I should also note that many of these children have been invited specifically to the United States to participate in clinical trials that are related to their medical condition. And often, these are very rare diseases where there are really only a handful of children with these conditions and therefore therapies are still being developed for these conditions. I should perhaps also note that medical deferred action is not only granted to immigrant children, it's also granted to immigrant adults with serious life-threatening as well as chronic illnesses. It is also granted to immigrant parents of U.S. citizen children who are receiving life-sustaining treatment at various medical centers across the United States. So it really does impact several people across different ages. So what types of conditions are common among these medical deferred action children and adults? There's a common threat to all of these conditions in that they are all chronic, lifelong conditions. Many of these children with conditions often encounter many complications over the course of their illness. These children include those with cystic fibrosis. It includes those who are currently being treated for cancer. It includes children with sickle cell disease. It also includes children with severe forms of epilepsy. Sometimes some of these children have multiple conditions or multiple issues as a result. So one example that comes to mind is children with cerebral palsy who are often dependent on not only medications, but several devices that help them sustain their nutrition as well as their breathing. So that's really just to give you a flavor of the conditions, but certainly they encompass very many others. So you mentioned the parents of children who are being treated. What's the status of those parents and What kinds of situations are these families living in while they're here? So what is wonderful about medical deferred action is that we've long recognized that many of these children with chronic disorders really need their parents. It would be impossible for us as medical professionals to sustain their care or their well-being without their parents simply because, as we all know, children with chronic disorders require multiple medications over the course of a day. Many of these children require multiple appointments and repeated doctor visits. Very many of them experience several hospitalizations as a result of their underlying conditions. And you can imagine that no child will be able to navigate any of these without having their parents to support them and really sustain them through all of these experiences. What's wonderful about this designation is that many of our parents really after various processes and 
years of waiting have been granted permission to live and work here in the United States. As a result, many of them are actually eligible for private insurance as well. So some of our children are indeed supported through those means. In addition, certainly the fate of not just our children, but also our, their families are in question at this point in time, is what I would add. In August, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services sent letters to patients announcing that it would no longer be processing non-military deferred action requests and giving those patients 33 days to leave the country. So what do you think was behind that action? I think those are certainly questions that we are all asking and unfortunately questions that we have not received any answers to. But I think what we can perhaps surmise from these actions is that it really follows a trend and the accelerating policy changes that we're seeing affect our patients and their families. I think this change certainly follows on the heels of several other recent policies, including changes to the public charge rule. And I think what is defining is that we're now at a juncture where these policies target immigrants regardless of their status. So in summary, they target both documented as well as undocumented immigrants. And therefore, I think what we really are seeing with at least this policy changes we suggest is that this is a symbolic gesture of sorts. And I think it demonstrates to the public that these children's lives are not worth saving. I think to the patients and their families themselves, I think it suggests that they really are at the mercy of a government agency that can, without explanation, make these policy changes. And in fact, there have been several additional announcements regarding medical deferred actions since those letters were sent in August. What's the latest information on the government action? After the initial announcement rescinding medical deferred action, there was a huge public outcry, which in turn led to a sequence of confusing announcements as each week transpired. USCIS first announced that ICE would adjudicate all the requests put forth by patients and families with a medical deferred action. However, ICE in itself as an agency was not aware of this change. USCIS then announced that it would process all pending applications at the time of the first announcement. This again created a significant amount of uncertainty for patients who had already received approvals and were not due to submit renewal requests up until the future since medical deferred action requests need to be renewed every two years. Finally, the latest announcement has been that USCIS now will process all requests for medical deferred action as it always has been. This has been the public announcement. However, in speaking with advocates last week who are representing many of our patients and families, I've come to understand that none of the applicants whose applications are currently being processed have received any approval. So much as there has been a public reversal, we really do not know how this is going to be enacted in a private space, if you will. In a related development, President Trump recently announced that many immigrants will be required to prove that they'll have health insurance when they get to the United States or that they'll be able to pay for their own medical care before they can obtain a visa. What do you think would be the effects of that policy? I think, unfortunately, policy announcements or even announcements like these lack clarity and therefore it's hard to really know how they are going to be enacted, who they are going to target which groups of people specifically are going to be impacted. That said, I do think that I can offer a personal anecdote. 
about how such policy changes can certainly create anxiety among many, including people like myself. Speaking from my own personal experiences, I am an only child. I happen to be an immigrant with immigrant parents who still live in another country. Now there is going to come a time when they are going to be dependent on me and there's going to come a time when they will need to move to be closer to me when their own health fails them. Therefore, policy announcements like these certainly worry people like me simply because the implications are huge. I need to have the means in order to be able to support my parents eventually as well as their health insurance. As we all know, this health insurance is not necessarily private health insurance, at least it's not necessarily within the means of everybody. Or my parents, in my case, will need to show that in their elderly and frail states that they have the means to be able to support their own health. So certainly, I think policies like these can impact many people like me and my position as well. That said, unfortunately, the opaqueness of these policies leave many of us wondering. Finally, what role can physicians play in supporting their patients with medical deferred action and other immigrant patients they may have? I think we highlight many of these actions that we can take. I think policy changes to policies such as medical deferred action really question the foundations of the foundations of our profession. I think I will be very clear in stating that many of us who are frontline and interface with these patients are asking ourselves these questions. Many of us are really trying to understand how best to support our patients and therefore we elaborate on some of these pointers that we ourselves have learned. First and foremost, as we highlight, the oaths we took require us to put the well-being of our patient over and above every other factor. That said, we need to be mindful of all the factors that can impact our patient's health. Among the many pointers we offer, I think, towards our individual patients, we certainly need to strive to understand their situations. I think we need to try to understand their perspectives. And I think we can also try in our own ways to practically help them by referring them to appropriate legal help that they can seek. So that is a very practical piece of advice that I think we can give, um, born out of our own experience. There are very many local immigrant organizations that are very familiar with the various legal issues, and certainly referring our patients to be aided by such organizations can be something that we can all do. I think we can seek to be more familiar with the work that our local immigrant-led organizations are doing within our communities, and I think we can seek their advice as we try to help our patients. I think there also needs to be some structural changes within our organizations in addressing the health of immigrants. This may mean enacting policies. This may mean having practices um, that can protect their health as they're seeking care in our institutions. I think we can certainly offer our own expert knowledge and offer testimonies to our elected leaders. We've certainly seen that where colleagues have represented us in congressional testimonies in offering our expert knowledge about some of the conditions that we treat and why it is necessary that these individuals with such conditions remain in this country and receive these treatments that are simply not available anywhere else. I think we can join our professional organizations when in their advocacy for immigrant patients. I've certainly seen the American Academy of Pediatrics, of which I'm a member of, represent me in submitting various letters, releasing various statements, as well as policies that highlight the various issues that immigrant children are currently facing due to the various policies that are ensuing. Thank you, Dr. Ganapathy.